The material provided today is for informational purposes only. It should not be considered legal or financial advice. Consult with a financial professional for your own needs. Johnny Sestina and Company disclaims any and all liability for the interpretation and use of the content provided today. I need help getting out of my student loan I'm debt. so worried. How am I going to afford taking care of my When's parents? When's a good time to get into the market? I'm really not sure when I should start taking my Social Security. I wonder if I have enough insurance. I wonder when I can retire. It's time to talk about your money. Managing to be wealthy. Our team of fee-only financial planners is ready to help you to create better financial habits. Envision your long-term goals and understand money management better than ever. Our resident hosts of Johnny, Sestina, and Company are on deck to show you the way. Welcome to Managing to be Wealthy, your weekly financial planning radio show. I'm your host, Stephen Lucan. Joining me on today's show is Spencer Hagar. We are both certified financial planners. And John Sestina. Good afternoon, guys. Good afternoon. You all ready to entertain? Oh, sure. Yeah, you got your dancing shoes on. Today, we're going to talk life insurance. We're going to try to do a deep dive into life insurance. Uh, a lot of people always, Spencer, you actually brought up the topic because you, you hear a lot of people wanting to know a little as detailed information on life insurance. Hopefully, we can shed some insight on those details. But there's a lot of uh, unknowns, things you need to consider that it's different for everybody. And that's one of the challenges we can present to say it's different for everyone. Every situation is unique and different. So we'll dig into that. Before we get into our life insurance topic, we're going to talk a little bit about the current economy. Uh, This week, we had a GDP report. Spencer, what did that GDP report say? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we were talking about it before we started the show. So yeah, they essentially said Q2 came in, GDP rose about 6.5%. Some people very displeased with that some people saying it's a benchmark for how far we've come since 2020 so the expectation for those who don't know is closer to eight and a half percent i think it was 8.4 so that's why some people are saying it was a big miss some people are still saying six and a half could be worse i suppose it depends on on how you come at the issue to be honest john thoughts (laughs) what we need to do is let the economy open up and explode Mm-hmm. And so that would mean uh, doing away with all these uh, handicaps that are out there, you know, closing up businesses and saying this and that, putting these limitations on people, because then 6.5 would be a joke. Right. Because the thing is ready to explode. We had 400,000 uh, unemployment things. That was above expectation, too. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was, uh, I forget which state it was, but they just announced. Once they did away with those $300 a week payments that were coming out, mm-hmm. they had applications, like 300 applications. I think it was a McDonald's store or something like that. So we just need to let this thing explode. So I'm not impressed with 6.5. I mean, I think the economy could roar if we'd let capitalism play. Mm-hmm. I thought the one uh, statistic that was in today's uh, reports, what I thought was the most eye-opening was the personal savings rate. Yes. And that's dropped to, it's still a large number, $1.97 trillion, call it $2 trillion, but that's up, that's down from $4.1 trillion in the previous period, previous quarter. So that, that tells you something. That says people are spending more, which we can recognize, right? Post-pandemic, there's a lot of euphoria, spend, 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 but it's drying up, right? That disposable... Uh, liquid money is starting. It looks like it's drying up because people are spending it, uh, and we're going to see how that. How what's the other side of it? Yeah, I think you're right. I think to that same point, it's the opposite side of the coin. They said of that GDP 
uptick, almost 70% of it was increased consumer spending. So it's clearly pretty consumer dri- driven on the, the bump up. And what's going to really hurt that eventually is the inflation. Inflation has not really hit the consumer yet. It's there and they're beginning to pay it. But as it continues to grow, as I think it will, then that's going to slow down spending too because you're not – did you see where if you bought a cereal box of, of I think, Cheerios – you like Cheerios, Stephen? Honey nut Cheerios, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, look at the box now, and you'll see when you buy the box, you get one bowl less. Yes. In a box. Sh- they're calling it shrinkflation, I believe, yeah, or something like that. Yeah, shrinkflation. Yeah, new buzzword. Yeah. So that's coming, and as a consumer starts to feel that, that's going to hurt the growth as well. Yeah, I just I always remember those peanut butter cups when I was little were so large, oh, yeah. and now they look so small. They do. Because <laughs> my big big hands now. So. Well, why don't we but, go buy some, Stephen? That sounds like a great it's idea. It's a great idea. But, but it is. No, it's real. Like That's how the, the manufacturers, I don't want to say they fool the consumer, but it, it's perception, mm-hmm. right? So make it a little bit smaller, make the packaging a little bit smaller. We can laugh about the bags of potato chips, right? They're big and fluffy. You open up, they're half full. Right. Uh, those are the things that the consumer or the uh, manufacturers do to battle inflation. Right. Well, look it at is- the meals. When you order your steak, it's smaller. Yeah. <clears throat> Everything else is smaller, too. Has to be. I mean, if the business expects to make money, they have to cut back somehow. So the consumer's going to start to feel that pinch and <clears throat> hopefully then acknowledge it. And start to rear their horns and say, "Let's fix this economy." Yeah, and again, the the your inflation for all the all the listeners out there, we bring up this topic time and again: is your living expenses track your living expenses? That's going to <clears throat> show you your inflationary number as well. You because if you if you go, do constantly doing the same thing, whether it's dining out, you're going to see the tabs ten dollars higher, twenty dollars higher for the same type of meal you've always had. Yep. And that's reality. So you're going to see that. And at what point does a consumer then do one less dine out a week or a month, right? And then that's going to have to be the rebalance here for the consumers to figure out how do they fight inflation. And we've been talking a lot about wage growth. Wages should go up, they, right? It's there. The war on wages is real. And the consumers are going to have to pay that too uh, for the increased cost of uh, wages. And the problem is wages never keep up with inflation. No. They're always behind the curve. And the little guy suffers more. That's exactly right. right. Yeah. The little guy suffers more because of all trying to keep up with the same expenditures. So, again, we'll try to give economic updates and give you how a little bit of correlation to your financial plan. Um, We opened a show talking about life insurance, and that's going to be today's primary topic, life insurance. Uh, Spencer, uh, what what do you – when someone talks about – brings up life insurance, what is your first thing that comes into your head or – yeah, I mean, honestly, it usually goes to why they're bringing it up. Nine times out of ten, I feel like it's because uh, two reasons. You bought a home or something, something to pick up a lot of debt, or a lot of times it's when you have kids. Mm-hmm. I think same with the estate plan. That's when everyone's mind goes to, do I need life insurance? Where do I even get started? Where it's a good resource? Um, that's where my mind immediately goes to. John, in your uh, years of practicing well life insurance has been a very volatile product over the years and it's uh and they are very adaptive to whatever the economy is they have the most creative products and that's so people will buy more insurance and as a result the consumer who only looks at the policy when oh he never looks at the policy (laughs) (laughs) when somebody has died or whatever then uh that's when they find out what's in there but there's a whole bunch of things and I think we'll hit on those tonight. We are. We are. We're going to hit on, try to hit on every topic. Um, 
What would be, since you mentioned a couple of reasons why people start to think about life insurance, what are some of the other reasons people consider life insurance? Yeah, and you know, I was actually going to expand upon that a little bit. I guess when I said that, I was more thinking from the standpoint, if I'm talking to someone who doesn't already have life insurance, I think a big thing and why I wanted to kind of deep dive the topic is, let's all face it, I mean, life insurance has also become a little bit of a sales tool at this point in the game. So even to that next point, if I'm talking to someone who already has life insurance, I'm already wondering... Were you sold the policy or did you organically want to get on your own? But no, I think we've said it before. The reason that you really need life insurance more times than not is to fund an unfunded goal. So a lot of times with kids, that could be for things like providing for lifestyle for your surviving spouse, funding a college goal for that kid. Um, That's a big popular one. Right. Well, let me correct you. It has always been said life insurance is sold. It's never bought. Okay. Well said. Right. And this goes back almost 60 years. Yep. Right. This is, that's, that's how right. you, that's why you, the insurance companies are out there. And they, and again, they'll, they'll, as you said, John, they'll, they'll, they'll sort adapt. of change, adapt <laughs> to what the, the situation, and we're going to see it now if the estate tax law changes yes. or the, any kind of inheritance change. We're going to bring, they're going to bring life insurance back into the mix as a f- tool, a sales tool to increase sales. And that's the reality. And where the financial planner comes into play is we try to find the right amount and the right kind of insurance. And that's what we're going to dig into today. So when we come back to the break, we're going we're gonna to expand further on the life insurance topic. You're listening to Managing to be Wealthy on News Radio 610 WTVN. You're listening to Managing to be Wealthy with fee-only financial planners of Johnny, Sestina, and company. If you're looking for the latest stock tip or how to time the market, you've come to the wrong place. If you want help navigating all the moving pieces of what makes a financial plan successful, tune in and take notes. Welcome back to Managing to be Wealthy, your weekly financial planning radio show. I'm your host, Stephen Lucan. Today's show, we're, we're covering the topic of life insurance. You know, how much, why should you have life insurance? How much should you get? Uh, reasons that all the different reasons surrounding and what kind of life insurance is best suited for you. There's always a lot of variables. Um, and Spencer, you, you talked in the opening segment about, you know, generally what triggers that someone's perception of need for life insurance, maybe they're having a child, mm-hmm. right? So they want to protect the financial well-being of the family in the event of a death of a uh, one of the income earners. But, and John, you talked about the income earners, right? It doesn't always apply to the income earner. Uh, that's correct. Right. And most people don't realize that. And that was one of the things that blew me away early on in my professional career is I never really considered that. Why would, why would someone need life insurance on the non-income earner of a family? Well, for one reason, let's say it's the spouse and you have children, young children. And if that spouse who's been caring for the children should pass, then the father in this case should, uh, uh, making lots of money, perhaps, working 100,000 hours a day, he decides he's going to cut back on those hours, and so his income drops. Right. And so that insurance on the spouse will help subsidize that so he can, indeed, during this crucial time, be with his kids. And and that's most people don't think about that. Nope. Right? And, or even, even have a little bit of money on the side to maybe provide some uh, family support, right, uh, Reduce reduction of hours, not necessarily completely dropping out of, but a change of a change of income, a change of everything surrounding the whole family. Right. The surviving I mean, spouse wants to be there for the kids. Well, you also have relatives. You maybe I had an aunt who I helped when uh, she was still alive, 
and uh, there was no income there. So you you sometimes have to help relatives, parents, uncles, aunts, grandfathers, John. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> Payable to John Sestina. Right. Well, you could, you could probably put a pin in that, too, for when we talk about how much life insurance do you need. But to your point, John, we have a planner up in Cleveland, Kim, Kim, who hasn't been on the show in a while. But I'll never forget sitting in with her for the first time. And she really dug into the intangibles for why you need life insurance. And it's so easy to almost get into the, you know, replacing income or funding a, an easy goal. But think about the grieving period. I mean, it's so hard to actually imagine if you did lose someone like a spouse and how big of an impact she, that could have. Yep. And so she said, just, <clears throat> I want to ensure you to make sure you don't have to work for a year after because that's going to be a huge hit. So mm-hmm. even for a non-working spouse, that's going to be a huge part to play. Right. Yeah. Don't just insure the income, insure the family. Mm-hmm. The other thing people often just jump to life insurance when they, oh, we're getting married, we need life insurance. That's not always the case, correct? Right. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think it ties back to the whole support piece. Um, I agree, depends on the income, but then also, um, I'm da- I'm currently actually engaged to a to be pharmacist. I can guarantee you some student loan debt's going to come over with that. So I may lean in a little bit on the life insurance, but it doesn't mean it's a universal answer. <clears throat> right, but but it's just the security. Yeah. Right for the two of you, you need that security. So there's got to be there's a the reason is actually beyond the getting married. It's the financial implications of being married. What do we have to protect? Yeah. Uh, the other one, the other one, John, you mentioned is about supporting. Maybe you're you're supporting someone older, aunts, uncles, parents, financially. You got to protect them too because something happens to you through your income. You have to worry about that as well. That's right. If they lose that income, what do they do? So you supply that insurance so they have some reserve. Let's say. Yep. Um, student loan debt mentioned, right? Uh, we have to worry about other debts, mortgages, car payments. Even even someone would say a young professional just out of college living by themselves. There's no reason for them to have life insurance. And the exception is, well, wait a second. What if maybe your parents co-signed on a loan? Wouldn't you want to have your loan paid off if in the event of your death? Mm-hmm. Right? So instead of them fa- falling on to the parents. So every situation is unique. And that's why, again, I often hear when someone comes with a life insurance policy, how did you come about this amount? Or what? None of these intangibles are ever really discussed. Mm-hmm. It's always just a flat dollar amount, you know, put your finger in, in the air and see what, what number <laughs> right. comes out. And that's not right. That's the wrong approach. Um, any other reasons to have life insurance? Uh, the last one I'll point out because it hit home a little bit with me, you know, being a financial planner, I'll be completely honest. It's a little bit of a desk job sometimes, but if you are one of those people out there that's doing a more risky job or, um, something could happen, that's another reason maybe just to get life insurance as well. Um, if you can get it, uh, that's a great point. Insurability is a big feature, but yeah, if you're in a high risk, uh, profession, uh, yeah, certainly. Or a high-risk hobby, you know, like wearing all black and going to those national tournaments and <laughs> karate, <laughs> yeah. right? getting your head bashed in a few <laughs> right, times. Right. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and and ironically, during the application process, they'll ask you about mm-hmm. those high-risk uh, hobbies, activities, rock climbing, <laughs> skydiving. Uh, are you a pilot, even recreational pilot? Yeah. Those That's legit, right? So the insurance companies want to know what kind of life uh, – do you live life on the edge, right? So to say, um, something to consider. All right, good. So, so again, there's a lot of different reasons why you need life insurance. Now let's switch to the other side. How much, John? How much life insurance do I need? 
Well, it depends on who you're talking to. If it's the agent, it's as much as you can afford. Uh, or sometimes they'll go, well, let's see, how many years of income should we provide? And they'll take your income and multiply it out, and then you have to buy $25 billion worth of life insurance. So those are some issues. But the truth is you need to work it out. Mm-hmm. You need to sit down and plan for it. And this is one of the things a good financial planner will be able to help formulate. That's what managing to be wealthy is all about, isn't right. it? Right, yeah. So you want to figure it out. What's what's in the future if you if you were uh, you know if you were my age <laughs> well, it doesn't count so <laughs> <laughs> but if you're married and have a couple of kids or whatever the case may be then you have a lot to uh, to consider and you have to consider as you said earlier education what about uh, any uh, health problems any disability problems that uh, somebody has to be supported or special needs trust there's lots of special things key is you need to sit down with someone who is uh, <clears throat> not uh, prejudiced in the amount of uh, insurance you're buying and discuss all of your life with them yep. and figure out what's going on. Right. And it is the what if, right? The it what, what, if, what if you die, what do you want taken care of? And it's in today's dollars. And what's funny is sometimes you'll sit down uh, with a spouse and you'll say, if he died, would you stay in the house? And that's an interesting expo- uh, uh, something to explore because some wives say, yes, I'll stay there forever. But in, in reality, if he dies and she still has this huge house, she really doesn't want it after a couple of years. So there's all there's a whole discussion. It's what you said earlier, Spencer, when uh, Kim was talking to the people, bring up all these intangibles. Yeah, because I was going to say, I, I always <clears throat> hesitate to tell people to spreadsheet it to death. Granted, like you said, Stephen, if you're working with a good financial planner, they'll help walk you through it. But you can do the income multiple game. If there's a lot of outstanding debt, you could talk about just writing a lump sum check to cut off the debt completely. But usually whenever I get to that number, I always want to play conservative, add a little bit on top of that, because there's just so many intangibles. Right. And, and some of the other intangibles are... You don't you don't necessarily have to overinsure. I I did have right. a couple say, well, we don't want it to make our Powerball winning, right? <laughs> yeah, which which yeah. is true, right? Maybe you don't because your goals will change, right? And if you're young enough, John, I've heard you say it. You're young. You'll probably remarry. Oh yes. no no! I, I understand. Yes, you don't want to think that way. But there are there is a good chance if you are young in your twenties and and something tragically happens, there will be a healing period, and then eventually you you probably will remarry. Mm-hmm. So those are also considerations. So you don't necessarily want to make it a, a as I said earlier, a Powerball winning scenario. But you want to protect and you want to make sure there is enough there for it. So when we come back from the break, we're going to dig deeper into this whole life insurance thing. Uh, go beyond how much you need, but just the different types of insurance as well. You're listening to Managing to Be Wealthy on News Radio 610 WTVN. Welcome back to Managing to Be Wealthy, your weekly financial planning radio show. I'm your host, Stephen Lucan. Joining me on this evening's show is Spencer Hagar. We are both financial certified financial planners and John Sestina. We're talking life insurance. Uh, before that, if you'd like to learn a little bit more about John E. Sestina and company, you can contact our office at 614-326-3077 or look us up on the web at managingtobewealthy.com. All right, Spencer, we're going to go a little bit further into the life insurance. Now that our listeners know they need life insurance, they may have figured out how much they need 
and why, what's the next step? Yeah, so like you said, peeling a layer at a time, thinking about where do you go to get the insurance at this point, um, probably the most popular starting place I see people bring up is just going to your auto insurance, your home uh, homeowner's insurance provider. So that's a lot of times I see all state quotes or State Farm or you name it. That's a good starting point. I usually tell people they should shop it out a little bit more than that. You can work with a broker. That's one option. They'll shop out a lot of different companies. And there's also some some DIY tools out there as well, but we can kind of unpack that. You're talking letters? What is that? Yeah, yeah DIY. do it yourself. Yeah, do oh, it yourself. Okay. Sorry. But what what is the one of the do it yourself locations? Yeah, one I see all the time is Policy Genius. It's a pretty okay. popular one. If you watch podcasts or anything like that, they're getting name dropped all the time. Um, but same same deal, kind of like everything we just talked about. I'm a little bit hesitant to ever say do a DIY or do it yourself tool because it's really putting all the responsibility and the onus on you. Um, ideally, you have a broker and some advisor you can work with that can help you a little bit with the process. Yeah. And again, and, go ahead, John. And you ought to re- remember that there are two kinds of agents. One, You're saying broker, which is correct. And you want the broker because they can sell from many insurances. But other, the other one you have is a captive agent. And that person can only sell for the company for which he works. Yeah. And the tough part, too, <laughs> the tough part, too, not saying they're all bad, but I know every time I, I work with someone who gets a new home, they start getting letters in the mail about life insurance policies they could pick up to try and cover the mortgage or, or you name it. So I'm usually a little bit wary on those as well. And I know we're going to jump into it, but the other big part that we'll kind of explain to tie into it is what kind of life insurance are you going out there to try and get? Right. That's something you want to have a good understanding on before you even probably speak to any broker or agent. Right. And remember, again, the agent or broker is, again, they're they're commissioned based on the sale of that product. Mm-hmm. So it's best to get multiple quotes and then actually have them analyze the other quotes and give you the pros and the cons. So you're taking A, B, and C, you send A to C, send C to B and B to A, mm-hmm. and they all just sort of tear it apart, right? Here's what's good, here's what's bad. And probably you'll, you'll come to learn who's the maybe the best agent or broker representing you and, and maybe giving you the best explanation as to what policy is best suited for you. Mm-hmm. Well said, John. I think that's great. That's, right. that's my <laughs> old uh, ABC technique. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I learned that from you. So, it, it, But it is a good approach because, again, you're getting uh, opinions, and you're getting pros and cons of each, and you're trying to find what's best for you. But again, that's where a good financial planner, you know, John, you can find, you can solve the right kind of insurance if you're building a good financial plan. Amen. And it's not always the most expensive insurance. It's the right insurance. You don't need the cash value policies or the whole life policies to fulfill a goal. Wait a minute. They call those permanent. Permanent, Steve. right. Those are it's permanent an, and it's policies. an investment, too. Uh, yeah, right. right. They you have can, an investment account. Right. Exactly. And, and what's what is, the problem there? Well, right, the underlying cost, but <laughs> what's the goal? If What is the purpose of it? If it's life insurance, it shouldn't be an investment. Right. The life insurance is purchased for life insurance purposes or needs. And the example is, is if you determine, okay, I have a couple kids, three kids, and we've got to save for college, we've determined it's a million dollars. How long does that policy need to last <laughs> until basically they're out of college? And if hopefully that money goes to waste, you pay to premiums, you're paying the premiums and then all the kids are through college. You don't need that life insurance anymore. Right. And so the purpose of the life insurance should be strictly for that, not for some underlying investment and gain. And what people, they're, they're often um, misrepresented is, 
oh, well, there's a cash value behind it. It's an investment. It can grow. You're still paying for that life insurance itself. Well, mm -hmm. remember, the, the, the cash value, although they say it's yours, it really isn't. Correct. So if you borrow that money, you take it out. I think one of the articles talked about borrowing. You borrow it out of the policy. Say you take uh, $10,000 out of the cash value, and you should pass. Well, instead of your family getting the 100000 that you thought, they're going to get 90000 Right. So it's not your money. And if you take it out, they charge you interest. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Right. And and that's maybe one of the questions you ask the, the broker. If they are or if they're saying you need a cash value policy, just ask, what happens in one year if I need money or if I want to cancel the policy? Just ask the question, what happens if I cancel the policy? And you you come to realize soon that that <laughs> cash value policy that you said is yours, there's a lot of strings attached to it. So you've got to be careful. And generally, again, in a, the term term life insurance will be the least expensive for those who are insurable. Mm -hmm. And it is probably the most suitable to fulfill the goals, right? And you hope it's wasted money because yeah. that means you've lived a nice, long, healthy life. I used to ask the agent, well, let's see, term insurance. You say it's not permanent? I say, what happens if you die and you're covered by term insurance? You get the benefit? That's pretty permanent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so again, the type of insurance is equally important. And that's why, again, we can we can dig into the pros and cons of the whole whole life, the cash value, the term life insurance. But the one thing, let's talk about group insurance. A lot of people go to group life insurance as a solution. That's a great idea, right? Because it's cheap. That's a trick question if I've ever heard one. <laughs> well, then it's for you. <laughs> so what's wrong with that or what's good about it? Well, I mean, it's good because, like you said, it's usually cheaper. That's a beautiful thing. I'm all for cheaper if it's getting the job done. The problem is, and last year was a great example of it, generally it's contingent upon remaining employed with that employer. Um, and it goes up every year. So it's annually renewable, meaning as you get older, that price is not going to stay stagnant. You're going to see it go up a little bit over time. And if you switch employers, there are some variations. You'd have to dig into the 30-page document they give you. Um, sometimes they'll let you take it with you. But either way, every time you switch jobs, you're going to have to go through the hassle of trying to take it with you or go secure it somewhere else. Right. And and the biggest thing that I see with uh, people, again, they like the, the inexpensive premiums early on. But as you said, it gets more and more expensive. And maybe you're planning to work into your 70s. You're 65 years old, and all of a sudden you could be paying thousands and thousands of dollars for a policy where if you would have Im implemented it 15 years ago or 10 years ago at half the price. Yeah. I've seen it even sometimes. You know, I said generally cheaper. It's not always the case. I think a lot of people like it because everyone's got to go through the hassle of open enrollment. At least a lot of us do. And if you're already doing that, it's right there. Click the button and choose what multiple of your salary you want. But sometimes that's not even necessarily cheaper than what you could get if you did the legwork yourself. Yeah. And and the other thing too with the group insurance for if if you're going that route for using the group insurance you mentioned multiplier of your salary. Mm -hmm. Often people are are paid with a uh, salary and commission. You've got to understand whether or not that commission is included in your multiplier which often it is not. Yeah. It's based on your base salary. Mm -hmm. So you've got to be careful about that. So you may be limited, but again, I don't I don't I don't like the group policies from a control aspect. That means your your employer controls the policy, not you. Mm -hmm. And it may be portable. Okay, yeah, fine. That that is a good thing, but 9 times out of 10 you want to be careful and make sure 
uh, that you own the insurance because control is the biggest thing. Mm -hmm. All right. So we're coming up on another break. When we come back, we'll dig a little bit deeper. The last segment, talking life insurance. Um, you're listening to Managing to be Wealthy on News Radio 610 WTVN. You're listening to Managing to be Wealthy with fee-only financial planners of Johnny, Sestina, and Company. If you're looking for the latest stock tip or how to time the market, you've come to the wrong place. If you want help navigating all the moving pieces of what makes a financial plan successful, tune in and take notes. Welcome back to Managing to be Wealthy, your weekly financial planning radio show. I'm your host, Stephen Lucan. Today's show, we're focusing on life insurance. We've talked a little bit about the ins and outs and determining how much you need, what kind to buy. We may get to the pros and cons of each type of life insurance. But as I mentioned earlier in the show, estate planning could become a major tool for needing life insurance if an estate is under the basically scrutiny of a potential estate tax. Mm -hmm. Back in the 90s, John, this was a good tool to offset any estate tax. It was very necessary, yep. Is that something people need to consider? Yes, because the tax law is going to end here in, uh, when is it? 90, uh, 90. 2025? Yeah. 25. Yep. So not too many years out. And when it does, if it does, it's going to revert back to the good old days. Yeah. And so you won't have that $20 million exemption anymore. Right. You're going to have, what is it then? Five dollars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I think it's close about, enough. Yeah, it's close. It'll be a few million dollars, five million dollars, yeah. uh, yep. and change. And and to offset any potential estate tax, you can buy life insurance to help pay that estate tax bill. Yeah. So you could see a major shift in the need of life insurance for that reason. The only the one thing I've I've just caution the listeners if you're going that route is often it is sold as a second to die policy where it's after the second death of a spouse, right? So both husband and wife pass, and then uh, the, the um, life insurance is paid out, the benefit, death benefit. But what people may not recognize is that it could last for 20, 30 years still, right? And, and the irony is you buy this life insurance at a relatively young age, you're in your 50s creating lots of wealth, hey, we may need it. There could be a lot of changes down the road, yeah. right? Estate tax changes. So. Proceed with caution. Uh, a lot of these policies, I, I still see one. It's a second-to-die policy and um, into their late 80s, right? And and this yeah. policy has been in place now for 20-plus years. When they bought it, it was a huge policy, tremendous policy with a $2 million death benefit. That might not even scratch the surface of need. But back then, when yeah. the policy was purchased, $2 million was exorbitant. Right, oh, that's a large, large sum of money. It may for some still be a large sum of money, but for the estate tax that we were dealing with, it wasn't. Yeah. So how the length of um, tenure or how long you live is a big factor, and um, the premiums are determined on your age. Even for the older people, it might be a very heavy premium to be paid. So these are you have to be cautious about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, and I was going to say, and that's the federal estate tax we're talking about too. Was you know I think it's actually twelve million per person now. So Correct. if you're married, it's twenty four and some change. They're Correct. talking about dropping it to five. Us here in Ohio, for the time being, fortunate enough, there is no state estate tax. Some of our friends on the East Coast, that's not the case. Right. So and it, uh, the state estate tax was much more common yeah. back in the nineties and two. It sort of have, have gone away uh, by the states, which is good. Um, the other the other one to consider for life insurance, the need is even for business owners. 
right? If you have business partners, a buy-sell agreement, because mm-hmm. you don't want a surviving spouse maybe involved in the interactions of a business they yeah. may not know anything about, right? So, John, have you ever encountered the need for that? I sure have. There's a lot of needs for that. I've seen businesses be destroyed because there wasn't one. I watched the three-man corporation just go down the toilet because one of the partners died and there was no agreement. And so there was no funding it and the widow sued and on and on it goes. Or, or, or sometimes you need a key man insurance policy. Right. If there's a uh, someone bringing in all the revenue, right? <laughs> right. How do you replace that revenue? He's so, the rainmaker, yep. Yeah, the rainmaker. So, so John, your point, right, about the – think about the three-man team, 33% ownership. The first person, that first uh, team member that dies, that surviving spouse wants the valuation yep. today. Yep. So that valuation is at its peak when the three of the three partners are in place and will only slowly decline. And it could be, as you said, tragic, right? Because yeah. it's you're trying to buy shares. Yeah. So even for business owners, life insurance is, is important as well. So estate planning, business ownership, and um, anything else before we switch to the types of pros and cons of the types of insurance? I think you hit the big ones, to be honest. That's what I'm thinking of. All right. well, to buy the, well, sometimes there's corporate buyout plans that are a right. little more complicated, but uh, you would uh, need a good planner and an attorney. You need a good estate planning attorney when you're doing this stuff to uh, formulate the right plan, I'll say, the approach. The mapping it out. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So the pros and cons of, of let's go term insurance. Uh, John, what are the pros of term insurance? Well, to get to understand insurance, you know, when you go, let's say you go to the insurance window and you say to the guy, I want to buy $100,000 worth of insurance. He says, okay, that'll be $100. And I say, great. What happens? He says, well, if you live, you lose. <laughs> <laughs> and if you die, you lose. <laughs> okay. It's kind of like your car insurance, right? So the the... Permanent insurance says, give me a whole lot more money, you know, maybe 10 times as much. I don't know what the ratio is anymore, but give me more money. And what we're going to do is we're going to put some of it in a savings plan for you. And it's going to earn, you know, an outrageous minus 4%. Right, right. (laughs) Today's rates, right. (laughs) And so, and that you can keep indefinitely. But most people don't know that even permanent insurance policies have a death time in it. You read the policy, you'll see eventually they're going to pay you off. So let's say it's a hundred. If you're a hundred years old, you're going to get a check in the mail for what the insurance was. Yeah. So I would uh, find little need for permanent insurance, despite all that's where all the marketing is done. Right. So we use the word term insurance. You're buying for a term five years, 10 years, 15 Mm -hmm. years, 20 years, 30 years. There's all different types of terms out there. And that policy will end at the end of the term mm-hmm. for the most part, right? Um, so th- what are the pros behind that? Yeah, pro is that it's cheaper. The other, it's a pro in my opinion. Some may try and spin it as a con, but like you said, Stephen, eventually the way we look at it or the way I look at it, um, eventually that need for the insurance is going to fall off. So the good thing is you're locking in a lower premium, and by the time ideally it lapses and you lose the insurance coverage, you no longer have the need for the coverage, so it's a win-win. Right. But like I said, that's the main con people would say about it is that, you know, what if something comes up where all of a sudden you need more insurance? That's an argument that it will eventually run out, but I, of course, agree with you where you're coming from, John. Yeah. 
So what what are some of the pros? And John, you you sort of went into the cash value whole life policies. What what are, are there any pros behind it? Yeah, the salesman. <laughs> some sarcasm there you've had the many battles with this huh? oh i've had lots of battles with this when i was starting up i fought every not every but many major insurance companies yeah because they wanted to nail me talking about this fee for service stuff they didn't like that but part of your part of your goal as a good financial planner is to save right save costs yeah. right and part of the savings of costs is a less expensive insurance policy that will cover the need for the insurance. Yeah. And if you can do it for something less expensive, do it, understanding it. And I, we mentioned, right, maybe the, the group insurance is less expensive, but it does. there is a con behind it where you could, if you lose your job, you could lose that insurance. Right. Mm -hmm. So control is important. That's why you go buy your own insurance. And if it, if, hey, if we gotta cover savings for college for next 20 years, let's buy a 20 year term policy. Yeah. Yes. And hopefully it's wasted premiums and the rest of the premiums go into the college savings goals. Right, and there are also two types of insurance companies. There's the stock company, which whatever the premium is, you pay it. And then there's a mutual company. Usually the mutual is in their name, and what happens is the mutual ones will give you dividends. Wonderful. All right. So I was all excited when I learned this back in 1965 because the dividends are tax-free. So I thought, what a solution for my clients. We can buy this insurance, get these tax-free dividends. The world is good. Then I read the definition why the IRS would let them be free. <clears throat> the definition is it's a refund of overpayment of premiums. There you go. So that's why it's tax-free. But and the pre dividends are a little complicated. Yeah. So be aware of that when you're picking one. Have them all explained. Usually there's about five different choices. Great. Well, we're going to end the show on that. Uh, thank you for all the listeners out there. You've been listening to Managing to Be Wealthy on News Radio 610 WTVN.